Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the PR Week. That's PR Week's weekly podcast on everything going on in the worlds of PR and communications. I'm your guest host for this week, Frank Washcook. I'm PR Week's executive editor. And I'm joined by our always excellent co-host, Diana Bradley, who is PR Week's associate news editor. Diana, how are you this week? Wow, thank you so much for that amazing intro. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You're in the office. I'm in the office, yeah, and I am now. Now, let's not tell anybody this, but I am in the boardroom right now doing our recording. So, um, it'll be our secret with all of our listeners here today. Uh, <laughs> and so far, the Wi-Fi is holding up, so that's a good thing. And we have we have a terrific, really impressive guest for you this week. Um, it's Ariel Ellis, managing principal of Advisory 83, assistant professor of PR and PRSSA chapter advisor at Lipscomb University. Welcome to the podcast. You you have a lot of titles, uh, <laughs> and I could keep going. I feel like, but thank you for joining us this week, and I'm I'm really interested to get your perspective on a lot of things. Awesome. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, so um, tell us a little bit about the work you're doing um, with with ProSec Partners now. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So uh, thank you all again for having me. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity to tell you uh, more about where we are with the work that we're doing with the PRSA Foundation. Uh, I was uh, appointed president of the PRSA Foundation. Uh, earlier in 2021, and uh, after having served as senior counsel on the PRSA National Board. And uh, there was an opportunity to be able to uh, lead the foundation um, after a year or two of some really phenomenal things that the foundation had been doing under President Joe Cohen and uh, launching and incubating the DAA, the Diversity Action Alliance, um, as I'm sure you all are familiar with that organization and its work to align industry partners uh, to uh, take a, a serious step in commitment by pledges, by way of financial contributions to really improve diversity in the industry. And so while the DAA was incubated by the foundation uh, and went through several transitions of growth and things of that nature, it's a really good opportunity to be able to look at, relook at the foundation, take a second look, reset uh, the work of the foundation and really center our mission around diversity and inclusion, specifically what it means to help students uh, not only attract them to the industry, uh, but particularly uh, recruit them and retain them and advance them throughout the industry and looking specifically at students from diverse backgrounds. And so this past year or so, almost a year, uh, we've been really thinking about what it means to not only support all of our students, but really lean into supporting students of color, students who may be um, first-generation college students, and also students who may come from low-income homes and really expose them to the PR industry. And so with our work with ProSec, we're having some really important conversations and developing content around helping organizations understand how to recruit and hire diverse talent, where to start, how to start at that entry level, what should expanding your programs look like as it relates to recruiting, what should the recruiting process look like, uh, what are certain skills that transfer for really well to the PR industry. 
And so we're really cultivating those conversations. Of course, the foundation is a 501c3 uh, that's ran through the Public Relations Society of America. And through our work, we really center the uh, the priorities around providing financial resources for students, but also trying to be uh, a way or trying to create ways to bridge that gap, if you will, between students and the industry. Mm-hmm. That's really important work. And I'm I'm happy to hear ProSec stepping up to the plate on this. I, th- I think it's it, agencies have to lead by example uh, with their involvement and, and also, you know, through their own recruiting, you know, mm-hmm. at, at various levels, too. And, and it's good to see them stepping up with this. Um, I think when we look at the diversity numbers throughout the industry, I mean, I don't think it's fair to say nobody is happy with where they're at. Yeah. Uh, everybody recognizes there's a lot of work to be done. What area do you think, whether it's it's agencies or the corporate departments, where do they have to put the most work in? Is it recruiting diverse individuals at the entry level and then keeping them within an organization? Is it recruiting at higher levels? Is it recruiting at executive levels? Um, Where do you think they need the most work and where can they make the most impact? Sure. First of all, I think it starts from the very beginning. It starts from connecting with those students early on and just exposing the PR industry to them. And then once we have access or once those agencies or corporations, et cetera, et cetera, even nonprofits, once they have access to a, 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 a pool of talent, then I think it's a matter of, you know, going from there and developing that talent and leaning into resources from the foundation and from uh, the DAA and even PRSA and other organizations, PAGE and and Planck Center, leaning into those organizations and allowing us to be your partner in the process of really figuring out how to retain and advance your diverse talent. But the it it starts at the very uh, beginning, Frank. It starts at exposing those students, finding ways to connect with students at the college level, um, tr- find way, finding ways to be able to uh, align with other partner organizations who already have their finger on the pulse of what's going on on campuses and what's going on in the lives of our students. Um, and then also realizing that if a student or a group of, uh, of students at various schools or in the area, if they have a PR program, investing in their PR, their communication program, reaching out to them, asking about ways, how can we get involved? It really is going to take some proactive uh, uh, strategies around ensuring that these students know that PR is an option. I remember I, I graduated from an HBCU, Tennessee State University in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, all I knew is I wanted to be in, in, in the in the business world. Right. I, I was an entrepreneur and at heart, even as a teenager. And I wanted to get involved in the business world. I wanted to run a business. And that's all I knew. But once I got into my economics class, I couldn't stay awake. Right. Here I am, an overachiever, 4.0 kid all the way through my whole entire K through 12. And I just couldn't. It just didn't excite me. Right. And I immediately decided, you know what, I'm not going to finish my first semester of freshman year and, 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 and torture myself, right? I'm going to, I need to change my major. And I um, had a similar reaction. To really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like I gotta, I gotta do something about this. So I marched <laughs> over to, uh, to the admissions office. And as I was on my way, you all, I, I saw a group of students outside and kind of like the courtyard playing music and, 
they had microphones set up and they had speakers and they were passing out flyers for some kind of, you know, a new album, you know, that was coming out. And I thought, whatever those kids are majoring in, that's what I want to do. And what I realized, it was journalism. They were majoring in communication and journalism. And I have an uncle who was a radio personality back home in Memphis. So I was already familiar with the industry. So I just put those things together. And had it not been for, you know, all of those opportunities and being able to understand what the industry was and, and, and getting entrenched in that and having access to the local PR community in Nashville. And I don't know that I would have really understood what PR was. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think it really starts and, and to now be president of a, of a PR, you know, foundation. Right. It's huge. But and so it, you, you really don't. I think as professionals, we underestimate the impact that we can have on these young students. And so yeah. it really, really starts the ground level, ground floor level, getting them while they're young uh, and, and, and white and energetic and curious and wanting to learn. Yeah. And you're actually selling yourself short a bit because I've read your bio and I know you founded an agency at 22. So um, you you really did take that entrepreneurial spirit and apply it when you when you were straight out of school. Um, I always ask people this when we're talking about diversity as a topic. And it does the PR industry or even the bigger marketing industry, are there other industries that they can learn from? Like, for instance, have you have you seen diversity programs, whether it's in finance or, or different types of business that that do it really well and are really effective and had a long lasting mm-hmm. impact that we, that that this industry can pick up on? You know, that's a really good question. And I get that question a lot. I think in the work that I do as a as a consultant with my company, Advisory 83, we work with a number of clients uh, in the DEI space and doing comms and strategy and training. And so a lot of times I get that question. I was doing a talk for the Toronto airport recently, and that was a question that was asked. You know, I don't believe that there is any specific industry that has done it right. I do believe that we have multitude of case studies of companies that have done things uh, that that have been super successful. Um, And I I don't want to I never try to be prescriptive in that kind of answer. But I think overall, if we look at the healthcare uh, industry, we have some examples of work that they've done in providing financial resources to students, creating programs uh, for students to be interested in the medical field, right, in the, in, in the STEM arena. I think the STEM arena has done a pretty good job. Uh, I, I would say that, you know, we could consider tech because we see more young talent of color going into the tech space, but we also see some some difficulty, right, in that, in that space as well, and opportunities for uh, not only people of color, but people who uh, identify as LGBTQ uh, plus, even those who may identify as someone with a disability, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we see still some some feedback around uh, a lack of psychological safety in those in those uh, in those industries from those employees, a lack of opportunity to be able to move up and stay inside of the organization and inside of the industry and feeling like they can kind of walk through the door um, and and stay there. Right. Uh so I, I don't know that there's any particular industry. I haven't seen rather uh, any particular industry that I would say could get a gold star when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I think we do have some companies that really are trying to get it right. And getting it right, I don't say that as a cliche. 
getting it right is going to be uh, it, there's not a, a true model for getting it right. I think with the guide uh, that that the PRSA Foundation and ProSec is putting together, it's going to be important for the PR industry. But I think some of the things that we've been thinking through and developing these content to really help our agencies and help our organizations and our industry, we've been able to, you know, pull this thought leadership and expertise from a number of experiences, right? Um, looking at our industry too and kind of meeting it somewhere in the middle. So I think what we've put together is something that is, of course, targeted our industry, but it could help for any industry. Um, so I do not believe that there are any particular industries that have that are truly, again, that I would give a gold star to. But I do think those who are really, really interested in seeing how or uh, uh, what has worked well, you're going to have to follow some really specific companies um, to, to pay attention. When you see the headlines, dig into what that means, determine, you know, what was that case study? Is there a white paper on this? Right. I think we've got to get a little bit more curious about what works because because even still, you may find a phenomenal case study or article or white paper or be on a hear a panel or be on a webinar and an organization is telling you what they did and how they won. And you could try to apply that in your organization and it cr- and just crash and burn. Right. So you your organization has to do what is best for your culture and what is best for the teams inside of your organization, right? And if it means you have to rethink some things, reset some things, do things differently than you used to, then that's what it means. But but I, I would not recommend any uh, like prescriptive type, you know, let's try this. Amazon did this. HP did this. Target did this. Let's, uh, let's try it, right? And see. What is going to work for you? And the way, a lot of ways that you learn that is asking your people, like asking your team. If, and if you don't feel like you have enough diverse perspectives on your team, that's when you reach out to folks at the foundation. That's when you reach out to those other organizations like, you know, D, the DAA and, and, and Planck Center and others who are very, very focused and, and are running in the DEI race, right? And you look at some of your peers too in your industry. I think that's a that's an ideal strategy, because, again, what we don't want to do is come up with a lot of, you know, cookie cutter. Let's throw it on the wall, see if it sticks type things when it comes to DEI, because it's because it's such a sensitive and very important thing to get right. You know, so those are my thoughts on that. Right. Right. It's very important. Um, That's very important advice, I think, because I, I, I do think. You're just covering the space. You you do see a bit of that. You do see a bit of, and, and again, I, I think a lot of these organizations, all of these organizations are, are well-intentioned in what they want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you see the numbers year to year, you don't see that much progress. And, you know, yeah. you do wonder uh, how much is being made to get to a point where, where the diversity numbers at agencies or organizations are, are more acceptable than they are now. Yeah. Um, Sorry, go on. What were you going to well, say? I was, you know, yes, that's a good point. And, you know, when organizations, I mean, we're, I often say this with clients, with my clients, um, the organizations are made of people and people are human, right? We're human. And we have strengths and gifts and talents, but we also have flaws and, and blind spots, right? And, and shortcomings. And, we have to balance that 
uh, and have a, a level of transparency and vulnerability in how we approach the culture of our organizations and just how we run things uh, in order to really see, are we making an impact? What more could we be doing? Are, are we truly looking at the makeup of our society and, 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 and who we have inside of our organization reflect, is a re- reflection of that? And not only who we have in our organization is there, is it reflective of what our actual society looks like? But as we look at kind of that majority minority split, which I'm not a fan of the word minority, but if we kind of look at that too, and we look at all the diverse populations in our world today, do we have those folks even sitting at the table as it relates to leadership? If you're an agency and you don't have a whole lot of, you know, full-time positions available, are you reaching across, you know, uh, uh, town and connecting with agencies who may be ran by women, who may be ran by a person of color, who may be ran by a veteran or someone who carries a disability, right? Um, there's so many different things that we can think of, but the bottom line a lot of times, Frank, is that we're used to business as usual, yeah. right? And so we just don't think, hmm, we think about what else we could be doing to improve and generate greater revenue, but we don't really think about how we can improve culture and make a better impact on the society around us. And that's really what, what it gets down to the bottom of when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Important point. Um, can you give us a little bit of a preview uh, about the toolkit or guidebook uh, yeah. that you guys have been working on with Prosa? Yeah, so we've been working on a, a fun project, a really important project with uh, the PRSA Foundation is partnered with ProSec Partners, uh, which is our, our agency. Uh, we've partnered together to work on a series of guides. And these guides are to give uh, industry leaders an opportunity to really uh, get a have, a have a tool, if you will, uh, for learning how to and ensuring ways to recruit and hire and retain and advance more diverse talent inside of our org- inside of uh, our industry. You know, we have long been in the issue, have ste- dealt with the issue of diversity in the PR industry, not just diversity, but also uh, diversity, inclusion and equity as well. And so what we have developed is a series of guides um, that will uh, that will come out. And these guides will be shared across the industry, uh, particularly with industry leaders. And we want to be able to uh, create this guide so that folks will have, you know, knowledge and they'll have just a quick snippet of facts and resources and tools and steps to be able to make good decisions around the work that they need to do in diversifying their firms, their agencies and their organizations. So we're grateful our first guide is focused on how to expand the recruiting process, how to improve the hiring process as well, uh, where we specifically focus on. You know, if you're seeking more diverse talent, here's how you expand your recruiting program, right? Here's how you should specifically look at the recruitment process. When you're looking at the recruitment process, you should be hiring for potential and not necessarily uh, an exact set of skills. Yes, writing is important. We know that. But there are some other skills that translate very well to PR that may not, you know, always show up on the surface. You know, we know that according to uh, the Bureau of, of Labor Statistics, our industry has always been very white, right? White and male, but also white and female, but particularly even white 
white male, we see white men in more, much more leadership positions, even though uh, statistically there are more white women in the industry. But when we break it down by way of people of color, we see about 5%, a little close to 6% uh, Hispanic or Latinx. We see about 2% or so Asian American and then about 8% African American. So we know we can do better at that, right? So we also include in the in the kit and in other um, in other toolkits that we'll develop, we'll do a series of these, uh, some tips around recruiting at HBCUs, how it's important to offer paid internships, which, you know, has been an issue in our industry for a while. We've been trying to advocate for that. We especially advocate for that with the PRSA Foundation and mainly also because with the, you know, thinking about paid internships, that's an issue of equity. You know, if we want to diversify the industry, right, and we're thinking about students who may come from a variety of different types of backgrounds, many students can't afford to take an unpaid internship, right? Mm -hmm. Even if they do come from a, you know, a a, a well, a strong, you know, financial background with their parents and things of that nature, they still can't can't quite afford that. So just thinking about uh, ways in which you can, improve the work that you do when you're recruiting and hiring. And so we're excited. The PRSA Foundation is excited to partner with ProSeg on just providing these tools and resources. All right. Looking forward to those. I have one last question for you yeah. before I uh, ask Diana to walk us through uh, some of the biggest Marcoms news this week. But what impact do you think that the pandemic has had on on diversity within the PR industry. Um, I kind of get the sense that it had a negative effect and just that it put the brakes on some initiatives that in a more quote unquote normal year might have gone forward as planned or or the businesses were just so focused on keeping the doors open and keeping, you know, uh, keeping money coming in, you know, making sure that they were employing as many people as they could without job cuts that, that maybe it sort of got pushed to the side for a year. Do you, do you have a different perspective or, or what no, do you, think? you Well, I'll say yes and no. You're right about that. Okay. Um, there are organizations and I believe there's a, a Institute of uh, PR for PR um, study that came out last year that, that, uh, that, was singing a, a similar tune to with the research that that was discovered in that study that what you of what you just mentioned uh, and so there are a couple things you know I, I'll give you an example of, with the PRSA Foundation uh, we we of course have a mission um, to be able to uh, rise talent if you will and raise diversity that is our tag that is our goal uh, and and we are serious about doing that work. Uh, through a number of ways, through scholarships and awards, et cetera, uh, for students. Um, but last year we had to reset, right? And due in part to uh, some of the things I mentioned earlier around how we were structured and all, and all of that, but we had to reset because of COVID. We had to really double down on who we're serving, right? And to specifically think, what is the need of the student? We had to rethink that. We had to recommit uh, to that and reimagine how we do that, right? And I can only suspect that many organizations have had to do that as well, uh, agencies or corporate, et cetera. Uh, even universities and colleges, the higher ed industry has, has had to rethink that. So of course, of an organization like the foundation has to as well. 
But I do see, Frank, that many organizations uh, had at, at the at, on the helm of the George Floyd murder in 2020. So many organizations, they were ready. They were gung ho. They had the lip service. And then they some of them had the action to back up um, some of the things that they said they were going to do or the things that they said that they were committed to. But prior to that, COVID put a lot of people on pause. And they were really concerned about even if DEI was something that they needed to be pursuing, as you said earlier, because we just need to keep the doors open. We just need to keep jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Well, COVID is an issue of diversity, equity, inclusion. It has to be because you think about the ways in which it is impacted um, communities of color and those who are the most vulnerable in our society. You think about the ways in which it has shifted and reshaped our workplace culture and how people feel included as it relates to remote work and the remote space. And then you also think about equity, consider how even essential workers and even those who are uh, in more corporate spaces, right? Thinking about how equity trickles down to how we're paid and how our, our job meets our quality of life. So this is a real issue. And so for organizations to think that we're going to put our diversity initiatives on hold because of COVID, it, let, it lets me know, it signals to me that there was a disconnect before COVID, right? And that perhaps your diversity initiative was just that, an initiative and not maybe a real commitment because in a situation like COVID and what we've seen in this past year and a half, this was a time to double down. And if you weren't doubling down, this was a time, as I said, of what we've been doing at the foundation, reset, reimagine and recommit, right? And on the flip side of that, in my work as a consultant and even with the foundation, I think we we kind of bring that same energy together as a board. But what I've seen with clients is that the clients that we that I've taken on uh, with Advisory 83, they're serious about this work. They're serious Mm -hmm. about it. And they were committed to it prior to COVID. Uh, They were committed to it prior to George Floyd. And for the ones who we've worked with that weren't committed prior to George Floyd, they're they're off to the races now. You know what I mean? They they're doing such good work that they that they are are even trying to catch up and make up for time lost. Right. So I do know again, I know that's a long answer, but I had to unpack that from several angles. Uh, One is, of course, from the foundation and, and leading the foundation and the commitment that we have to our students. And to the industry, but also as an educator, um, as a as a professor who I'm with students on a regular basis, and then also as a consultant who's sitting with these organizations and hearing, you know, their issues and how they need solutions. Um, so I, I think we've got maybe a 50-50 for the most part as it relates to, you know, where organizations are going and what they're going to do. But the ones who are really, really commitment is committed, it's gonna show and it's gonna prove. That's good. And it's good to see that you're seeing that level of commitment out there, too. That's reassuring. Mm-hmm. Um, Ariel, thank you for, for joining us today. Uh, yeah. I am going to ask Diana to walk us through the biggest news of the week from a marketing and communications perspective and start us off with this gigantic Mercedes-Benz uh, global review that uh, that wrapped up. Yeah, so um, Mercedes-Benz has consolidated its global marketing and communications work with Omnicom Group. 
meanwhile, Omnicom Group also said it's acquiring Oliver Schrott Communication, which has handled Mercedes PR work on a global basis. And it's a globe, it's a German PR and communications agency that will operate as a standalone firm within Omnicom Public Relations Group. Yes, and you did better with the name than I than I would have. So I'm glad that I, I fooled that. you because I, <laughs> I was a total guest. Um, and the holding company also said um, on Monday that it plans to acquire Antony, which is a Berlin-based yeah. digital native advertising agency. But um, Omnicom and Mercedes partnership is sent, set to launch under the name Team X in January 2022. Team X, exciting, huh? Yeah. Just, just you can feel the excitement. <laughs> uh, so uh, this is a really, but this is a really interesting review. And then I can't remember the last time that, as part of, of a review or concurrently, uh, a holding company went and bought two agencies that had worked with the prospective client or the current client like Omnicom did here. I mean, so they, they really went all in on this, you could tell. Absolutely. Um, Our sister publication campaign actually um, interviewed OMD CEO, Florian Ademski, um, who kind of explained the, the acquisitions and what it was like to pitch for this uh, business um, and how actually the review changed midway through the process yes so um definitely check out that story if you haven't yet yeah terrific stuff and and he you know talks about how this is such an important account uh to omnicom that when they they lost some of the work to publicis who was the kind of co-incumbent on this handling some parts of the business they were they were very upset a couple of years ago and determined to win it back and they did mm-hmm. um so a really big account win uh the story that diana just referenced from our colleague getting the spaniard it's a terrific look behind the scenes at the review so check that out if you can and of course check out diana's story which outlines uh, the agency acquisitions that were a part of this. So um, all in all, a really fascinating, fascinating move there. Um, the next three stories we're going to talk about, I, I'm really into because they're all about emerging technology in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit about this Weber Shanwick deal with Blackbird AI. Yes. So Weber has launched a media security center to advise clients on potential information risks. So the agency is partnering with Blackbird AI, um, which is a threat intelligence company, um, and they will provide insights about disinformation and what's happening in the media that is relevant to clients. Um, And the center will work with teams specializing in crisis and issues management, policy analytics, environmental, social and governance communications, and the media. And Weber Chief Information Chief Innovation Officer Chris Perry is overseeing the development of the center's intellectual property and working with more than 100 staffers globally. I think it's a smart move by Weber. I think that um, I, I I think sometimes is is I don't want to say casuals, but I mean I don't think we're um, we're real uh, disinformation experts in the way that some people are, and I think we don't really understand just how deep the rabbit hole goes on on some of these things. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine with Weber's client base and so many of them, Fortune 500 big companies that people are talking about all the time online. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you could imagine why technology like this is so important. And and we've talked so much over the past couple of years about how companies have to be prepared for just just these insane theories that pop up online and they have to respond to them quickly and take them, you know, deadly, deadly. We were talking about the salad dressing 
uh, <laughs> earlier today. Yeah, that's that's one I think nobody could have predicted. Right, and this is and this is just a, I mean it's just a crazy thought that you have um, you know a former uh, a former U.S. general you know saying perhaps the COVID vaccine is going to be in salad dressing and I it's just wild. Oh my goodness! But, but if you if you're a company somehow you have to be prepared for this thing. Um, Ariel, what were you going to say about? This? Yeah, no. So this is interesting because it's a really good story and really good. Uh, I think advancement for our, for our industry. When I work with students, uh, as you think about the students that the foundation serves, these students are already paying attention to these kinds of things. Uh, and because the generation of students that we're serving right now, um, they are misinformation and disinformation. It's just a natural <laughs> component of how they consume, you know, news and how they operate in society. Uh, and, and in ways that perhaps my generation, as a, even as an older millennial uh, and even generations prior to us, we didn't have to kind of work through this as much. So I think it's important for uh, this particular uh uh, partnership to to take place and for this particular way of, of shaping business to take place because it shows even uh, young professional and future professionals in the PR industry that we're ahead of the curve, that we're paying attention, that we're doing something specifically uh, targeting misinformation and disinformation and using technology to be able to do that. And that's only going to appeal to more and more students who want to be a part of this industry. That's a great point. That's that that is a really great point. I didn't think of. I'm glad you brought that up. And it, yeah. it reminds me, I was I was adjuncting a couple of years ago, and one of the things I really loved about it was that um, college students are just just in terms of the way they're immersed in technology and the way they're immersed in social media, they are so far ahead of somebody my age. Mm-hmm. And you end up you end up learning a lot just about how people consume information nowadays. Yeah. And it's it's just so helpful. I was helpful for me in my day-to-day job. And just, I, I learned a ton from it. So, um, okay. Um, Robin Hood, they have a new hire. Diana, tell us about it. They do. Um, so there's been a couple of changes on their comms team there uh, over the past month. So um, this week they hired Will McCormick as crypto communications lead. Um, and he has joined the investing company from OK Coin, where he worked as communications lead since last year. Um, and last week, Robinhood chief marketing and communications officer, Christina Smedley said she's planning to exit the company. It's not immediate clear when she's departing and um, she hasn't yet revealed her next destination but um, a Robin Hood spokesperson told us that McCormick is not replacing Smedley in his newly created role. So, tough gig I think. I think it's a tough gig. I think a lot of people are still upset at Robin Hood. Yeah, uh, they, they've had a, a very dramatic year so far with uh, the Reddit the Wall Street versus Reddit controversy Um and uh, yeah. all of that. So it'll be interesting to see. And I think I think crypto is, is a tough space to explain to a lot of people, though there's a lot of opportunity there. I think it's it's it can be difficult to explain to people what it is and what it's not. So, yeah. um, OK, uh, Adam Sohn is on the move. He is. Uh, real estate technology company Compass has hired Adam Sohn as its first chief communications officer. He is reporting to founder and CEO Robert Refkin, 
And um, prior to Stone's arrival in June, Chris O'Brien and Sarah Fisher, um, who are the heads of internal and external comms there respectively, co-led the department. And both are still with the company and played an active role in recruiting Sohn from Intuit, where he was SVP. Yeah, leaving from a more established tech company to go to a more emerging one. So uh, good luck to Adam in that role. Um, okay, that's about all we have time for this week on the PR Week. Uh, Ariel, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really great, really important discussion. Thank um, you. And keep up the good work. Uh, Excellent, uh, thank you. We're looking forward to to reading all of the stuff that you're working on. Yes. Uh, Diana, and, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say thank you for having me and thank you for the opportunity to share uh, updates about the progress that we're making with the PRSA Foundation and anyone who wants to learn more ways to support us and to add to the work that we're doing for our students and diversifying the industry. Please visit our website at prsafoundation.org. All right. Diana, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for um, having me. And once again, we will see all of you listeners or hear from all of you listeners next week on the next edition of PR Week. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.